You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for tuning in to tonight's Best Possible Taste. Tonight's show is clashing with a wonderful celebration that's taking place at the Mustard Seed in Ballangarry, County Limerick. Dan Milan and his superb team are marking 30 years of business tonight with a long table dinner that sounds absolutely magnificent and I'm totally gutted to be missing it. Have a fabulous time everyone and I'm sure you're all listening in as you start the evening with some bubbles. However, I'll do my best to console myself by starting the show tonight with the ever-popular slot with Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants. Also on tonight, Gary Graham, the show manager for Bloom, will be on the phone giving us a heads-up on this year's spectacle that's taking place in Phoenix Park over the June bank holiday weekend. I'll be talking to lots of different people at the final of the Apprentice Chef programme in Tralee, County Kerry. And Aoife Ryan, a.k.a. Baba Duck, will reveal details about her very exciting job sourcing food products and whatnot for the airline industry. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie, or send me a tweet at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. But before you do, let's bring Ron Forrestal in and crack open some wine. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, you're very welcome this evening. Thanks, Sharon. And we have Exhibit A for you, will we call it, tonight. <laughs> There's a nice bottle of wine there, but probably not a very nice bottle of wine. It's a 2006, what's the name of it? It's a Macon Bouziers. It's from um, the Burgundy region, from the Macon region in France. Now, this came from my house. Okay. I have no idea where it came from. I suspect it was a gift because it does look like it could be a rather expensive bottle of wine. However, yeah. when I went to open it, the cork was just disintegrating. Just collapsed in it. Yes. When was that? Just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it was gone off anyway before that. Yes. Yeah, the okay. colour is, is very strong. I, How I, can I, you tell that now, given that the bottle is, uh, like, that's a yellowy type yeah, bottle? Yeah, I just spilled it? some out in my hand. Okay. <laughs> As I was lifting it up there. Yeah, the cork, there's a problem with the cork from the start. It wasn't, uh, like, if you had another bottle of that, 2006, it'd probably be fine with a correct cork, with a cork that wasn't damaged. So you feel that the cork was damaged at yeah, when, it, whenever it went into it? Day in, they were, they were, they're a living organism, cork, sorry. So they, they, they're, they're, say, like two or three in a hundred are, are defective. So this was a defective one. So that's for the bin, that bottle? Yeah, and it leaked in air. Uh, because it was crumbling which meant it had spaces around it and then it leaks in air and with air you have bacteria and bacteria then generates with the wine and, and it goes off effectively and the, the, it's, you'll know by the smell immediately and is it a good bottle of wine do you recognise that okay, yeah. it's pretty good yeah, yeah, yeah I don't recognise it because there's hundreds of them yeah 2006 um, you see is, is quite it's old that's nearly 10 years now it is now it wouldn't it wouldn't be that kind of wine now it would. It shouldn't be hanging around that long now either okay like I have a Macon Village and a Macon Luni that I list from the same area they're different wines now they, they cost around 15 or 16 euros a bottle and they tend to be drank like the one I have now is 2013 both of them I think if I had a 2010 one now I'd be trying to get rid of it very quickly as in I'd be using it for cooking really in opposed to drinking can't you use that for anything absolutely not would no. it clean the toilet <laughs> it, it, no it just have to, to no you couldn't use it for cooking or anything because it'll come up with the taste so it's um, it's no you'll have to give that on the road it's somewhere. a lost cause alright fair enough now there was a few questions the last time you were here that we didn't get round to that people had put up on 
Facebook and the first one is quite opportune given we've had the discussion about corks because had that been a screw top there wouldn't have been an issue with it wouldn't and, have been an issue and yeah. Dermot Clancy has asked what's your view on screw caps the uh, I think they're a, a, a hugely effective way of topping a bottle uh, the most effective um, produces the best results but but there is a but there is products that will not be put into screw caps and will never show up in a screw cap and they tend to be um, good French reds good Spanish reds uh, good Italian reds some some Australian are the better ones. Uh, the the producers of like from Australia like Cape and Tal, uh, from Bordeaux like Lynch Badge, any of those are never ever going to use screw caps. Are there any French wines come with the screw tops? Oh, there is a lot. Yeah, uh, like the Macons I just talked about. The two I have both of them are in screw caps. I have Chablis in screw cap. I have a Sancerre coming in a screw cap now because I, I remember uh, years ago my biggest every time I went on a call to sell wine to a restaurant, uh, the the wine waiter waiter, waiter uh, uh, manager look for corkscrews have you got any corkscrews so you'd have a couple of boxes in the car and you'd give them out like they were, they were uh, very valuable items you give two or three I've had about six boxes of, of uh, corkscrews in my van for the last year and a half nobody wants them anymore because there's so many products like the, there's whole wine list that there'd be nothing in a cork at all everything would be in a screw cap okay Next, when you've mentioned um, reds there and Siobhan Noonan has asked, can you recommend a nice, easy drinking white stroke red wine for a summer party? And you mentioned Sancerre there as well. Yeah, Sancerre is a little bit pricey probably for that. Uh, the thing about a summer party is you probably need a few of them. Um, so like Sancerre is from the Loire Valley in France. It's a Sauvignon Blanc. It's 100% Sauvignon Blanc, as the majority of wines are from the Loire Valley in France. But you have other products like Haute-Pitou, which is another region from Sancerre. tends to be about two-thirds the price of what Sancerre is. Lovely product, Sauvignon Blanc, really nice. Um, although they tend to be quite foody wines, uh, those French Sauvignons. If you want to get something that's drinkable for you know for standing around that hasn't maybe a whole lot of food involved, the New World is better at that. Um, Chile is particularly good at that now. Um, I have a, a range called Rayuela, which has a Sauvignon Blanc on it, which is smashing, absolutely smashing, costing around ten fifty a bottle, but it's very very good value for money. The South American wines have a reputation for having the sulfates in them, though, don't, don't they? Well, the sulfates are used for, for uh, filtration uh, to clear the wine. Now, they're used all over the world. It's, it's not just in, in, in Argentina or, or Chile. Uh, now, you get what you pay for, effectively. Um, so if you see wines showing up at 7 or 8 euros a bottle, you can be guaranteed that the producer of that product did the quickest way possible to get that wine into a bottle. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the reality. Whereas, if I don't have a lot of products like that now. Actually, the, the Rayuela I talked about is uh, um, produced by uh, Vuminent, one of the oldest wineries in Chile. Uh, it's not available in any shops. It's not mass-produced, but it's still very good value. Um, and I guarantee you, uh, sulfates tend to, people tend to complain about hangovers with sulfates, that, that they tend to affect them a bit more. But I guarantee you, that I've, I've a lot of people who, a lot of private customers who buy a lot of Rayuela as an ongoing basis, I've never had a complaint about it from anybody. Siobhan Noonan has also asked, can you explain the difference between new and old world wines? Yes, well, the old world is the traditional uh, wine producing countries. Um, France, obviously, being the, the hub of it all. Uh, France, Italy, um, Spain, Germany, um, Portugal. Um, so 
outside of that then obviously with people leaving Spain colonizing France the wine just spread all over the world they, were, they had so much trouble growing particular grape varieties in France because the weather wasn't really good enough or the soil wasn't correct that they ended up in places like um, Mendoza in Argentina or in um, the Central Valley in Chile and suddenly find out these things grow perfectly here. It's 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 amazing. So there you have probably the home of Sauvignon Blanc in the world now is New Zealand. It's it's the it's the benchmark for Sauvignon Blanc in the world. Um, Syrah, from the French grape, uh, which was which was changed to Shiraz when it went to Australia just for the spelling more than anything else. Um, now Australia is the benchmark for Shiraz in the world. So it just happened like that. But what happened is that the the, the old world, as in the, the original countries, um, will always look on on the um, the Argentina, Chile, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand as as new worlds, and that's it really. But that is that is fading away slightly now because these guys there's, there's wine producers in Australia for the last fifty sixty years. So you know that's going to change. And we're sticking with a red wine question now from Jerry and Tennant. I've been told that red wine is good with curries. What would you recommend with a medium hot beef chalfrezzi? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um I, I deal with a couple of Indian restaurants and it's they find it difficult to 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 find wine that matches the food. To be honest, beer works much better um, as an accompaniment for it. The problem with wine is that in red wine in particular, that you have tannins in it, which really get affected by chili. So if you're eating something pretty hot, what happens is the wine is fine, you just can't taste it. It's funny you say that. You gave me a bottle of rosé. And I had it a few weeks ago with something that had chilli in it. And I remarked to Michael at the time that it went very well. No, excellent. That's good. Yes, it did. Yeah, I have always thought that white wine go, would go better because it's cooler, first of all, as in it's 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 chilled. So you have the, the relatively hot food and then you have the cooler bottle, which at least gives you the same effect that beer has. I always find that red wine is particularly difficult to find one, particularly the heavier ones. If you get into Shiraz or Cabernet Shiraz or those, that... What happens is you just don't know what you're tasting then because the, the food takes over and you can't taste anything just that you know that you have. And it takes quite a while afterwards to, to get your taste buds back to um, to normal again for a couple of hours. So I'd suggest beer for the um, for um, with dinner and then have a nice, um, have a glass of Prosecco or something first, but have a bottle of Tiger or something. Oh, well, I'd suggest trying the rosé now. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. It, it went good. well with it. But that's all the questions now I have for you. You have a bottle of red with you tonight. Yes, I just brought this because it's it's uh, it's it's new. It's called uh, Demon. It's from um, Rioja in Spain. It's um, it's a very cool label. It's a very cool label. Yeah, it's it's from uh, Bodegas uh, Tobaya. They're, they're a relatively new winery in Spain. They're there since 1994, which is about 100 years behind everybody else that was in Rioja. Um, but the wine is just smashing, costing around 15 euros a bottle. But this this stuff is really good now. I just described the label to everybody. It's a pair of eyes, purple eyes, and they're nearly 3D-like on the on the bottle, aren't they? Yeah. It's a cat. It's very cool now. Yeah. Very cool bottle. It's lovely, but the product, even outside the label, which they're all very modern, all their labels are very modern, but it's uh, the production of wine, and he's about two years away from getting a complete certification for organic, for everything. Uh, he's biodynamic. He's done everything. He built the winery into the side of a mountain, so it affects nothing else that's there. It's just a, a smash and smash and winery. 
And it is a nice 14%. It is a sitting down bottle of wine, yeah, no heavy machinery. And how much did you say it is? About 15 euros a bottle. 15 euros a bottle. Now, I'm sure people are going to be stocking up for the summer so they can get in touch with you through your website, forestal.ie. All yeah, your details absolutely. are there. You'll be back again next month and we'll put it out there again on Facebook, Ron, for questions because I think it's a great way for people to, absolutely. to find out and get all those questions answered that they, they maybe don't know the answers to. Perfect. Great to see you and thanks for coming in. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Thanks again to Ron from Forestal Wine Merchants. And if you have a wine question for Ron for his next visit, you can email it to me, s.noonan at live.ie, and I will put it to him when he's next in studio. Still to come tonight, I'll be talking to lots of different people at the final of the Apprentice Chef programme. And Aoife Ryan, a.k.a. Baba Duck, will reveal details about her very exciting job sourcing food products for the airline industry. Next, though, it's time to get on the phone to have a chat with Gary Graham, who's the manager of this year's Bloom. It's now in its ninth year and it's taking place over the June bank holiday weekend, the 28th of May to the 1st of June. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Gary, thanks for taking the call this evening. Delighted to talk to you. Bloom in the Park, it's in its ninth year. It's getting bigger and better. So what can people expect this year from a food perspective? Yeah, year, year nine. I don't, I don't know where the time has gone. Um, I, I suppose of all aspects of the show, the food content has got better and better. When we started in year one, we had... <laughs> a handful of artisan food companies and obviously we had some catering because the focus was very much on horticulture and show gardens but I think as, as the time, time has gone on excuse me it's been very dusty from the park we're building gardens at the moment um, as time has gone on I suppose we realised that there's more interest in food and a lot of foodies come to the show and it fits very well with the horticultural content and with, with the, the garden so uh, I guess it's about four years ago we started the Food Village uh, and the Food Village I suppose has just about every aspect of Irish food so from the main stage instead of the demo stage with all the, the top chefs you know like Nevin Maguire and Catherine Fulvio and all these people um, to uh, an artisan food market which is probably the best artisan food market in the country and you could ha- have output of 60 stands in there um, and, uh, and they're all sampling across the food to get to try an awful lot of food and then we have the meat area, the fish area, we have the farmhouse cheeses, uh, and we even have a sort of a farmyard area, so we're kind of showing that story of where all the food is coming from. So food is a very big part of the show. It's a very child-friendly, family-friendly show as well. You mentioned the animals there from the farmyard. A lot of families and, and children may never have been that close to a cow, for example, before, and, and seen a cow being milked. Yes, yeah, it's true, yeah. We, um, unlike... Um, you know, the Chelsea Flower Show or Hampton Court, the sort of shows that people would see on the BBC or they might go over to London, which are very much uh, grown-up affairs, you know, and you stand behind the white ropes and you ooh and you ah. Uh, we took a very different approach with Bloom from year one, and I suppose that's because of who we are in Board Beer. We, we said, well, how, how can we get more people interested and engaged in gardening? Because ultimately what we, what we want to do is people to, to do some gardening and buy some plants and so on. That, that, that's what we're about at Bloom, so... So we decided from year one that we would, we would make it uh, free for children to come in. We'd encourage as many families to bring kids along, and then we'd have facilities across the show. So whether it's entertaining them, whether it's educating them, we have a, a budding bloomers area where we have all sorts of activities for kids, and particularly for the younger kids, because they're going to get bored if you're dragging them around all day. So they have to have plenty to do. And even then, in terms of the, the food offering and the catering that we have there, we make sure we have plenty of good stuff for kids as well. 
The children's entertainment and that budding bloomers area consists of, there's something called Food Dudes? Yeah, Food Dudes is probably one of our most successful programmes uh, in, in, uh, in board, board vehicles. Back to our days actually in, in Borglas where we started that programme, uh, working with schools throughout the country and we have these characters who are food heroes, I guess, and it's, it's basically just to change uh, ki- kids' perspectives on foods, make it more fun and interesting, and it's been hugely successful. So we've intro- introduced a lot of uh, fruit and veg to kids across the country. But at Bloom, of course, we turned it into a fun uh, fun activity. So there's all sorts of games and things that can do there. And again, it's all based around all these, these characters that are based on different uh, food, food, fruit and vegetable items. The show gardens are a huge part of Bloom. Lots of people go just to see those show gardens. And there's a number of them that do have a food theme or a growing theme. Yeah, the, the, the show gardens, I suppose, um, is what makes Bloom bloom. It's, I suppose it separates our event from anything else. There's no, there's no other um, uh, garden show like it in the country, certainly not, not, nothing at the sort of scale uh, of, of Bloom. And we'll have... 25 show gardens this year so that's there's a huge amount of time and energy blood sweat and tears go into and that's I think something like 97 98% of all visitors who come to Bloom or 100,000 people who come will come and spend time in there and yes there's always there's there's the fun stuff there's the kind of the wow ideas there's the inspirational stuff there's the wacky stuff the concept stuff but there'll always be a number of people doing something with food in there uh, and, and that's a great fit for us um, so you've got everything like the Glynis Garden there, and of course we all know Glynis, great Irish company, um, working with organic uh, yogurts and so on, and they've got a great fun, fun garden there for kids. And then you've, you've got some very serious stuff there, so you've got the likes of the Gold Garden, um, and again we're all familiar with the great work that Gold do, um, and that's obviously telling a very different story about, about, about food and water and what's required in other countries. Um, and then you'll see at probably in three or four other gardens there'll be some quantity of fruit or vegetables produced and that's very much I suppose in keeping with the whole trend around growing your own the whole GIY move more and more people uh, who are coming into gardening through the production of food they mightn't be growing any sort of vast quantities but it's I suppose what it does is it just increases their their empathy if you like around food they have a better understanding of where it comes from a better appreciation of what, what, what are, what's required uh, to produce the sort of fruit and vegetables that you see in the supermarket. You mentioned the Glynisk Garden there and it's actually a collaboration with Fiona Dillon who has written a series of books about Freddie Buttons which is for children so I'm very much looking forward to seeing that whenever I'm there and meeting Fiona on the at her garden and interviewing her for the show so viewers can look forward to that in the coming weeks. The other... Uh, element about the show gardens is it's in very close proximity to that fabulous children's playground that is in Phoenix Park. Yeah, you mean the, the on-site playground that we have yes. there all year round? Yeah, yes. The playground is right there. It's probably one of the best playgrounds in Dublin, I suppose. Because we, ha- we have to have a strategy when we go in. We have to go over to the left and get everything done because if we go over to the show gardens first and the children see the playground, that's it for the rest <laughs> of the day. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, you're fine, you're fine. No, you're right. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, some, some of my colleagues will say, oh, it's great that, that the show is, is so, so child-friendly and that the others will say, you know, I, w- I wish it wasn't because then I have to bring my kids because the content is there and then I can't spend the time looking at gardens or, you know, uh, dining on the nice food or having a glass of wine or whatever. So uh, I suppose we encourage people to bring as many family members as possible and then take turns so you can spend some time in some of the kids' areas while, other, while, you, while others can have the more 
grown up experience or indeed to come over a number of days and we do season tickets and all that, all that type of thing as well so you do get people who will come in one day um, with the kids and have that sort of a day a day out and then they might come back on their own or you know or, or, or with their partner or whatever and spend time looking at the garden particularly if they have an interest in doing something if they're doing some work at home and they're looking for ideas or they're looking for integration and then they want to spend some time talking to the designers if people want to find out about ticket prices and where to get more information, where's the best place for them to go? Website, of course, is the best thing, yeah, because there's a lot of information up there. Um, it's www.bloominthepark.com. It's all up there. Um, ticket prices, I won't go to them all. It's too complex. But they, we obviously, we have a slightly cheaper prices to try to get people to come in on the Thursday and Friday because it gets a bit busier over the weekend, as you can imagine. So we have prices there ranging from... 14 to 20 euro as I said kids go free we're trying to encourage as many kids as possible to come in and get excited about plants and gardening and food of course um, 9am to 6pm every day uh, all the information is up there like so for example if you were coming up on the train you wanted to use um, public transport I know some people are concerned about bus strikes and so on we have our own shuttle buses running running every day there's a fleet of them running uh, from Euston Station into, into the park into the site so there's really no problem getting up and then there's, there's lots of parking in as well if anyone intend spending a fortune on plants and food to bring home, bring the car as well. And of course you have the plant crash there. If you do buy your bits and pieces, you can leave yeah. them there until you're ready to go out the gate. Yeah, the, the plant crash is very, very popular. You, do, you don't want, like we have a 70 acre site. We probably use about, oh, we probably use about 15 acres, 20 acres for the show itself. The rest is used for parking and whatnot. But you're still walking around an awful lot. So you don't want to be dragging stuff around. So yeah, the plant crash uh, gets a lot of use and we've got some great teenagers up there as well who help us out and they have wheelbarrows and they wheel stuff back to cars and so on look after people, so yeah. Gary, very well. you have thought of everything. It is such a brilliant day. I, I love it. I love going up to it. What's the best day to go? You say the Can Thursday is a bit quieter, but if you're tied to the quieter. Saturday, Sunday, Monday... Yeah, well, obviously, if, if it's anyway warmer and sunnier, you know, you'll stay longer and, you, and you'll enjoy it more and you can spend more time sitting out in the picnic area, chilling and listening to music and so on. Because we've got some great entertainment laid on. It's like, this, I think we've got six different stages at this point doing different things between fashion and food, uh, gardening, uh, demo stage and music stage and so on. But I suppose if you have, if you can come up on the Thursday or Friday, if you're in a position, I would encourage you because it's not quite as busy, obviously, as it is over the weekend. Um, and if you are coming up, leave lots of time. Get in early. We open at 9 o'clock. People don't realise how much there is to do and see. And often they'll arrive in the middle of the day and they go, oh, I should have come earlier. I didn't quite get to see it all. So come early. And if you can come in the early days, I definitely would encourage that. Fantastic. Gary Graham, Bloom Manager, Board Bia, the 28th of May to the 1st of June, Phoenix Park, Bloom in the Park. It'll be fantastic. Thanks so much for talking to me tonight. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, we heard earlier from Ron Forrestal of Forrestal Wine Merchants. And just before the break, I was chatting to Gary Graham about this year's Bloom, one of my favourite events um, in the year, and I look forward to going to that. Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows and you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. 
So still to come tonight, Aoife Ryan, a.k.a. Baba Duck, will reveal details about her very exciting job sourcing food and drink products for the airline industry. But next, I have a report for you from the final of this year's Apprentice Chef programme. Mark Doe from Just Cooking in County Kerry is one of the founders of this fantastic project and has been on the show a few times to tell me about it. Well, this year he kindly invited me to come down to the final, which took place in Tralee IT. And when I was there, I took the opportunity to chat to a number of different people. So let's have a listen, starting with Mark Murphy, who is one of Mark Doe's fellow programme founders. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Mark, we're here at the mm. Apprentice mm. Chef final. It mm. isn't really a final mm. because it's not a competitive mm. program. But just tell me about the the three judges that are here today. Okay, T.J. O'Connor, who's the um, he's, our, he's our department head here, who runs our runs our college here, and uh, we've also got Chef John Murray, um, both with massive international experience. John Murray was a, was a former judge with the Irish Panel of Chefs and Philip Buchan, World Master Chef Society. So. They can keep themselves cold from it, which is good, I suppose, because the problem really is such as that uh, we've got 16, 17 students inside there at the moment and they're putting up dishes that are not supposed to be done at 15 or 16 years of age. It does tug at the heart to think like that today, for example, there can only be one winner, which is a term which we don't like to use that often. And it's also a term like, for example, they're all winners and they're all celebrities in their own right. You know, And it just goes to show that this proactive relationship that we built up at second level by developing it further, say over the next say three years, and developing a good comprehensive strategy, that there's no department in its right mind can say no to this being rolled out at the national level because it just it just simply works. It just simply works. What have the students learned during the process that has brought them to the stage today? Well, initially, what we had, we would have had, say, starting off, we'd have had, say, workshops, and we've had, I suppose, a relationship here. Is that what we, when we designed this program years ago, was that we wanted the relationship built up at second level, with third level, and say the tangible partner, and that would also be industry. So, industrial side within you, Simon Regan, Louise Brosnan, and Louise Brosnan, who's chef behind in, in the Global Village internationally recognised restaurant. You've got Simon Regan, who's an award-winning chef from the HF, the Panorama Restaurant and the Five Star Hotel in, hotel in, in the Europe. You've got uh, Mark Doe of Just Cooking, who's a former chef of the, the likes of the Savoy Hotel and has worked in the QE2 and he's worked all over the world. And I suppose <clears throat> what you have is with these guys then is they've been operating, say, with once say, students, say, the 15 students would perform their projects and once they, for example, come up with their dish, two students would be brought forward in from that particular school and they're mentored online. So you have a starting point in all of these projects and all these projects have gone from say a starting point and you've got say there's some kids inside that were 25 and 30 different times that they've attempted their dish to get to the level that they're actually at and this has all been because they have a they have on the other side of the internet they have their own personal chef and so we would spend an average of about an hour and a half to two hours on any given day, for example, responding back to emails. And the emails are so enthusiastic in relation to how it is they're going to improve their dishes. I mean, it's just... We have one student, for example, a girl from Buttevant in County Cork, a girl called Stephanie Carney. And part of this is that the, the 30% of the overall mark is given, for example, to, say, their project work. And now nearly 99% have achieved that. But this girl, Stephanie Carney, for example, 
not alone has she done a project based and she's done a project with about eight and a half nine thousand words it's actually borderline on a thesis so much so that it, it, it that it's actually impressed the department here so much so that we're actually going to be using it as a as a copy of how to do things with future students here on a professional level so that's where you're actually at. Thanks for talking to me now and uh, hopefully we won't have too much longer to wait now until <laughs> all is revealed with regards to the winner's name. Susie, you're the nutritional therapist on The Apprentice Chef, Chef programme. indeed, yes. What does that involve? Well, it involves having an awful lot of fun, first of all. Um, my role is to educate the children and get them to see what good mood food is, to understand what fresh is, to understand what local food is. Um, to understand how to um, present something that is visually appealing, that is nutritionally appealing and supports good mood food. And they do that in bucket loads. They are just phenomenal. Well, now, having looked at some of the dishes, they're obviously a very high standard, restaurant standard. I would imagine they look, they definitely look very calorific. Not necessarily. Well, my focus would never be on calories. Mine is on um, getting it balanced, getting the right amount of fats, the right amount of sugars and the right amount of vegetables and fibre. I'm not a low fat person. Fat is needed in the diet. It's just needed in a balanced form, um, which they've done. Do you find it's difficult to educate them about that or because they're young, are they very open and receptive to that? Generally, the children are very open and receptive. I would do other talks with children who would be in a lower age group, at the end of national school, and they, they abs- given the opportunity, they absolutely grasp it, they understand it. And you'll see that from when I give a, my presentation to these students, that they'll come down afterwards and ask questions relating to maybe their own personal health very briefly, and that if they follow this programme for their own personal benefit, they'll get, they get it. They get it. It's extremely interesting that it is about balance. It's mm-hmm. not about calories, especially when the government is legislating to put calories on menus. I have to say, I just find that a little bit baffling. You know, they they don't they seem to be missing the point a little bit. You do need, like I explained to the children, you need your fat soluble vitamins. If you don't have the right fats, you miss those vitamins and. People don't understand that, but I try to teach them that it's the f- sugar and the high sugar drinks and the high sugar meals that ends up making you fat because it's stored, it's converted into fat and it's stored. And that's what they get. They get it here. So I don't mind a small amount once it's balanced. Can you tell me what dish you've come across today that has really blown you away? Oh, I couldn't. I'm so glad I'm not a judge. I couldn't do that. I mean, visually, all of them present beautifully they've all chosen to have good color on their plates they've chosen um a lot of fish dishes which are beautifully cooked low in fat high in protein they look beautiful they present beautifully they'd happily sit in any restaurant and they can calorie count them all they like they're you know they will find that they're well balanced and absolutely acceptable have you come across any ingredient that you hadn't come across before or that was particularly unusual for a 14, 15, 16 year old to want to use? All of them, all of them get, no it wouldn't, it would be their choice of their vegetables and not just boiling them, um, you know it's what they add to them, how they make them, they, you know they don't just, beetroot is one big theme that's following through here and it's, it's highly topical, it's easily grown in Ireland, they understand that, it's visually very good, some of them have made crisps, some of them have made purees, some of them have added them into other dishes where they're stuffing um, some of the food so they you know that I just think it's the variety is really good and they they've I think there's an educational program there's second to none. Susie thanks for talking to me today.
I'm here with Aoife Walsh from St Mary's Secondary School in Mallow in County Cork. Aoife, you were the overall winner last year, so how did it feel when your name was announced? Oh, I couldn't believe it. Um, I mean, it was such an amazing experience from start to finish. I mean, we came down probably about four months before the finale and we were we get, we were given a tour around IT Tralee and then um, within the school we were given the opportunity to... Um, apply uh, you know to, to cook here so um, I was chosen from our school and I cooked in the semi-final and it was brilliant and then I was lucky enough to be chosen for the finale and I was really happy with my finished dish but never in a million years did I think that I'd win it out so it was fantastic experience from start to finish. Tell me about your dish. What did you cook? Um, well, I chose fish. I said I'd do fish because it's a different kind of, it's a different option. So I did fish, potatoes and beetroot with a twist. I cooked um, pine nut and herb crusted fillet of hake, potato au gratin, um, a prawn velouté, beetroot and ginger puree, baby leaf salad, beetroot crisps and sauté tiger prawns. Yeah, bit did of a mouthful. <laughs> did you practice a lot at home? Yeah, um, I was in school and at home. Um, but then towards the end, I kind of just took components of the dish. So I might be like, you know, if we were having dinner at home, I might be, might be like, oh, mom, I'll do the potato gratin. And just, you know, to practice different elements of it. But um, it was really, it was great. What advice would you give to a school person that's thinking about applying to this programme next year? such an amazing experience. I mean, you get to cook. I mean, the, the kitchens here in IT are truly are second to none. I mean, they're top class and um, especially if you're interested in culinary and if you're interested in getting into the industry in the future, it's a brilliant experience. And do you have plans to go into the industry yourself? Not at the moment. Um, it's just a hobby really at the moment. Um, I'd love to do primary teaching, but you'd never know, maybe down the line, maybe home ec or culinary might be on the cards. Okay, well listen, good luck with the future and thanks so much thanks for talking very much. to me. Thank you. I'm here now with Noreen Daly from Hazelwood College in Drumcolliher, County Limerick. And the first year of this programme, the Apprentice Chef programme, it was one of your students that won it that year. That's right. Um, our transition year student um, called Julia Doherty um, won first place, so we were absolutely thrilled and delighted in the school. Um, but to be fair, she was extremely diligent and really interested in culinary arts and um, really progressed during the competition and used her mentor to the best of her ability and had great support, I suppose, from her, from her family and from the school so we were absolutely thrilled and delighted with her success and of course with the extremely generous um, award of 1,000 euros for the school so that you know we were thrilled with that. From a teaching perspective what are the benefits of a programme like The Apprentice Chef? Um, I suppose it um, brings their focus on their culinary skills in school so we would put huge emphasis on that in first year you know that in terms of using their knife skills and their timing and preparation and um, their professionalism and conduct in the classroom you know and it, it really does stand to them and now the program isn't just about teaching the the students I believe the teachers also have a bit of a bit of a session with the the mentors we do yeah we were thrilled actually here during the semi-final stage the uh teachers were invited to participate in a culinary class here with the staff. It was super to work in a professional kitchen, um, you know, with professionals and, um, you know, delighted. If you meet any of your peers that are teaching in different schools, what would you tell them about the programme if they haven't heard about it? I think grab it with both hands, take advantage of it, um, you know, promote it within your school, get your students interested. Um, it's 
you know, it's huge um, opportunities for them career-wise and just personally in terms of their confidence and their culinary skills and they, they're working with like-minded students and I think your own rapport with the students, um, you know, improves and you get to know the, the, the student on a different basis and they get to know you and, you know, that you're human and that there is a, a very a very enjoyable side to it, the competition, I must say. You have a student here today, Laura Stack. That's right. Tell me what she's cooking. Uh, this is Laura's second time competing in the competition she participated two years ago so she's in transition here this year so she said she'd take advantage of her free time so laura is making a roast duck served with um, braised red cabbage a honey and clove sauce with a vegetable wonton and um cream spinach so it's um it sounds delicious it, it is and have you tasted it many oh, times many times and the pounds are going up in the scales but uh, no i must say very impressed with her now and she's very eager I, I hope she does well and she enjoys the competition today which is the main part well we wish her all the best of luck and uh, thanks so much for talking to Great. me thank you the winner of the apprentice chef 2015 is stephanie carney from <laughs> mrs carney how does it feel to have an award-winning chef in the house Unbelievable. The standard here today, honest to God, was mind-blowing. Um, I looked at all of them and I brought it down to five. I am shocked. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud. Uh, she started last November and she loved every minute of it. Her project was amazing. Uh, the interest she took in every part, the detail that she put into this was amazing. But I suppose what I wanted her to achieve here today was the satisfaction of just being here and to be so proud of that. But I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm so happy for her. I'm so proud. I'd imagine she was practicing a lot at home. Are you an accomplished cook yourself? No, I love it. Uh, I enjoy it. And I have to thank her teacher, Mr. Lee from Butterfield. And it was Mr. Lee who approached her and said, there's a competition, will you enter it? And she entered it. From the very beginning, she just loved it. But she's best friends with her fishmonger in Cork and the English market, who said to me yesterday, he'll be ringing me today. So I must ring him. I'm delighted. I'm sure he'll be thrilled for her. Congratulations. And who is this lovely lady here? This is her grandmother, her very proud grandmother. How do you feel at the moment about Stephanie's win? Over the moon, thrilled for her. Have you had a chance to taste the dish that she has made today? I have, at home several times. I was the judge, and I told her where she was going wrong. Yeah, she was, she's marvellous, great child. I'm sure now she didn't lick it off a stone, all this culinary expertise that she has. Are you a good cook yourself? I am, very good. Well, I rarely ate, and you know what then? It's in the jeans, so... It is. Well, enjoy the celebrations. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations, Stephanie. How do you feel? Oh, shocked. I can't put words really in my mouth. Tell me your dish. What was in it? Uh, Pan-fried sea bass with ganache, asparagus, shellfish brisk and a crab spring roll. Where did you get the inspiration for it? Um, well, I just started researching on the internet all different dishes and then I went to my teacher with uh, around 10 different recipes and we kind of eliminated them. And then I decided this one because I knew I could do loads, of, loads with it. You practised a lot, I believe. Oh, definitely. I'm sick of practising it and I think everybody at home is sick of eating my sea bass. Not at all. I don't think that at all. I was talking to your mother and your grandmother and they're both very proud of you. Who do you think you inherit your culinary talent from? 
Well, I think it's from my uh, grandparents. Well, my grandfather passed away a few weeks ago, and last conversation I had with him was about this programme, and he said, best of luck. And you're thinking about him today? Oh, yeah. Definitely. I'd say he was looking down over you. Oh, he was. What are you going to do with your prize? Um, I'm not too sure, because I don't even know what's inside the bag. There's so much stuff up there. But I say the school would be delighted with the 1,000 euro for equipment because we're actually getting a new school in October. So I think it'll go in really handy. Well, unfortunately, you've very little time to celebrate because I believe you're off on a big trip tomorrow. I am. I'm going to Uganda tomorrow for uh, 10 days. What are you going over there to do? Um, there's nine students and two teachers from a school going over and we're, doing, we're going to do mission work with the, with the boarding schools over there and, and, and the orphanages. Well, good luck with that and continued success with your cooking. It looks like a fantastic dish. I did have a little bit of it earlier on and it was delicious. So well done. Thanks very much. Mark, Stephanie Kearney, a worthy winner? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Sharon, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, it's very hard to choose one winner out of the 16 students. And, you know, they were all so close this time around. It was literally half a percent here and there. It was seriously close. But I think Stephanie... uh, when you put it all together, the finished dish, the project work, the professional conduct, stuff like that, yeah, definitely. Yeah. When yeah. I was talking to your colleague My- Mark mm. Murphy earlier on, he actually did highlight Stephanie's project. This is before the judging actually mm. took place. It's an amazing project. It's an amazing piece of work. I mean, so much that the IT are looking at using it as an example for, for students here. I mean, uh, we, we kind of say to them, try and limit it to 1,500 words. The last time Stephanie sent me her project, there was 4,500 words. And uh, nutritional value was broken down to the T, uh, which was accurate. You know, it was, it was 100% accurate. Uh, it was just amazing. Every part of mentoring was recorded in the project. It was just, yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. And yeah. an amazing dish. Beautiful sea bass. Beautiful. A you know. wonton. Oh, beautiful asparagus. sea bass. Yep, sea and, bass. And oh. the bisque then. Oh, the bisque was like, to be honest now, I think all the judges agreed. Like, we've tasted that, that bisque twice now. Uh, Stephanie made it on the cook-off and the finale today. And both times it was by far mostly the best bisque that we've ever tasted anywhere. And, you know, like I asked her, why is it so good? I asked Stephanie and she said, well, I've got a good fish stock. And that's right. If you get the fundamentals right and then build up the flavours, that's where you get it. And that's what she did. She made her own fish stock and she made the most outstanding bisque from that today. Unbelievable, yeah. yeah. It doesn't seem that long since we were mm. sitting talking about the programme mm. starting, but it was, in fact, six months ago. Yeah. So mm. what is next now for the programme? Next for the programme is we'll be launching next year, pretty soon, hopefully before the schools break up for the summer. So we're straight back into it. Uh, next for the programme for us is uh, with the help of Fulcher Island, as we said before, and with Flowgas, we're now putting the strategy together for them. Uh, and what we're kind of looking at more now with the programme, Sharon, is we're hoping it's going to become more of a national food education program as well, and the apprentice chef will be part of that. So this program is going to be part of uh, re-educating students, home economics to, uh, teachers, because they need upskilling, and that's no disrespect to the teachers, but they get no continued development. So our plan is to to have a VTAC level five just for home economic teachers that will take place in the ITs. So we're going to be developing the home ec teachers and the students. Next year, the apprentice chef itself we'll be opening it up to 60 schools around Munster. So we're kind of over doubling the capacity of this year and then we'll just grow it from there really and start developing our little hubs and hopefully, yeah, in a few years we'll have it national, you know. Well, congratulations on another fantastic year. Here's to 2016 and enjoy Mm. the celebrations. Thanks, Sharon, and thank you for supporting it. You've been fantastic. Thanks.
Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Great day in Tralee with a truly inspiring group. Congratulations to everyone and of course especially to the winner Stephanie Carney. And if you're wondering how Laura Stack from Hazelwood College in Drumcaller, her county Limerick got on, she did extremely well and she got joint third. So well done everybody and especially Laura and Stephanie. And um, I think I might have confused their wonton and their spring roll but whichever one it was, it was extremely delicious. So don't go anywhere as there's still lots more to come tonight on The Best Possible Taste. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break you heard me talking to a number of people when I was in Tralee at the Apprentice Chef Programme Final and earlier in the show Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants was here and you can listen to those interviews again later in the week when they go up on The Best Possible Taste podcast which is on soundcloud.com. Next though it's time to talk to a lovely lady called Aoife Ryan. Aoife blogs under babaduck.com I think the correct address is. I'm sure she'll let us know in a minute. But she has a very exciting, unusual job and I'm very much looking forward to finding out more about it. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Aoife, thanks for coming on to the show tonight. My pleasure. You have a very intriguing job. Tell us what you do. I work in my day job. My title is a product specialist, which is a new term for what used to be a buyer. And I would buy products and create products for airlines, mainly low-cost carriers where customers would buy everything on board. Now, when you say products for airlines, is it food, drink? What exactly is the product? It's basically anything that goes into an airline trolley. So we do food and drink products, everything from fresh sandwiches to frozen snacks, hot drinks, uh, cakes snacks like that and I also uh, would find and source boutique and duty free products so everything from perfumes to electronics and alcohol. How did you get into this line of work? Through the back door I started covering the boss's PA when she got married and on day two the boss realised I knew quite a bit about food I liked shopping professionally so the role was created for me. There was a gap there they needed someone to step in and look after that type of stuff and there I was. And what would a typical day consist of? Uh, Usually finding stuff, responding to suppliers I've sent out queries looking for pricing, sampling new products, some fabulous, some absolutely ghastly. I would present stuff to clients, do presentations, do sales reports. The odd time I get out I get to go and visit my airline customers or go to trade shows. Can you give us an idea of some of the food products that we might see on an airline that you have been responsible for putting there? Absolutely. If you fly with Ryanair, who are a big customer of ours, you will see a little cake on board called a vine fruit slice. I actually developed the recipe from scratch and launched it with Ryanair and it actually sells over 300,000 pieces a year, which is fantastic. And what sort of a cake is it? It's a little sponge uh, cake slice with lovely vine fruits with sultanas and cherries and things like that in it with some lovely rock sugar over the top. It's a lovely afternoon snack with a cup of tea or coffee. And, and how did the whole development of that come about? 
Like how did how did how did you go from going and sourcing off the shelf type products from other suppliers to saying, do you know what? I can actually develop and create a product here for you. The thing about airlines is we have to minimise the wastage that they have on board because that kills anybody's profit. Anybody in the food and drink sector will know if you throw something out, it's dead money. So I wanted to create something that would last longer than a traditional cake, but not be full of really horrible, nasty additives, which most long-term, long-shelf-life products are. So it took, I think, about 20 months from start to finish. I think it was on version 9400 by the time we got it right. But we have a cake that tastes as if it's just been baked, but it has a really good shelf life and it performs really well on board. You'd said earlier about you've tasted some wonderful things and tasted some ghastly things. And I would imagine when you're actually developing a product like that, there comes to a point where you think, I can't taste this anymore. I have a very good team of hungry people who work (laughs) with me. And I have one guy who's lovingly nicknamed Dusty Bin because he'll eat anything. Well, that's certainly always handy to have somebody like that around. Yeah, if I'm not sure, I'll hit his chair and go, here, eat this, see what you think. And I get a really honest opinion. He always thought my job was very glamorous till I took him on a food tasting with me and he was green at the end of it. You said there about minimising waste because of of the money that it involves. I would say weight, the weight of, of products is something that impacts on your your requirements whenever you're Absolutely. outsourcing them. Absolutely. Weight is huge. And what else is huge? It's like doing Lego. It's making sure that products fit into the drawers because we have products that need to fit into the drawers fit as many as you can without weighing a ton so things packed in glass are out because of the weight factor stuff that doesn't come in straight lines wastes space so we like everything with nice angles and clean edges circles and odd shaped things don't work for us and we just have to kind of stick to that and try and see how many can we fit it's like packing an enormous suitcase for your holiday a years ago you you would have been given all the the food and drink free on board the little bottles of vodka or gin or wine or whatever and absolutely the cabin crew if they were feeling nice and friendly you could have actually gone off with a few extra bottles but they're very stringent now about monitoring all of that and and you've contributed to that oh i'm i put my hand up i'm responsible for that as well i mean you have to consider you think 20 years ago if you wanted to go to london for the weekend or during the week and you hadn't booked your seat two weeks in advance the old fare was 256 pounds and i know this because i actually trained as a travel agent it was my first job now you can get to the uk for 50 euro so if you're paying a much lower fare you won't get the same benefits that you would have traditionally got before which is why a lot of airlines have started to realize they need to be commercial they need to make a profit which is why they've moved to a buy on board program rather than giving everything away for free and how do they track their stock well we're lucky we developed an in-house system that works with back office systems warehousing system order management so if a customer places an order it comes through our system an email is sent to the supplier to order the product that automatically updates the stock updates what the guys in the warehouse need to load into the trolleys and updates what the crew have in their stock on board and when it's sold it comes straight off so that you know exactly what's going on at any given time so that's the end of the little bottles of vodka or whatever walking off without being accounted for and you know what those little bottles cost an absolute fortune because the bottle itself is what costs the money the liquid contents aren't very much but those mini bottles you can pay up to two euro for each of those if you were to go and buy them yourself. Wow, pricey. 
Exactly. So no more little freebies in your handbag. You must always be looking out for the next big thing. To always to make sure and that the the airlines are ahead of their game. Is there anything in the pipeline now that you can give us a heads up about? At the moment, no, because most of them would be confidentiality agreements signed with customers, but we are developing out. We're bringing in new variations on products like a traditional pizza. We've changed the base so it's much lighter. It's a lot healthier. We have really, really good ingredients in it. And we know exactly what we're putting into our products. And also with new food labelling regulations, you have to be very aware of what goes into everything that you sell and you have to declare it. Do you just love the job? It sounds like you love it. Is it your dream job? I never thought it would be, but I absolutely love what I do. I'm nosy by nature, so I love investigating. I love looking for new things, seeing what's happening, see how I can bring it to a really, really small marketplace on board an airline. And is it nine to five, Monday to Friday, or are the hours quite flexible? It depends. If I'm travelling, I could be up at three in the morning. I will go over to see a customer of mine in Paris and I'll be home at night about eight o'clock in the evening. But usually I'm in from about half seven to four o'clock to beat the traffic. But then again, most of my customers are in Europe, so I'm there when they are. And when you do get home then, you will be blogging as babaduck.com. I do indeed. I try to keep it separate because Babaduck started long before my current job. So if I find a great product in work, I can't cover it on the blog and vice versa because it's not fair. I have to keep a wee bit of separation. But I do have very, very well fed colleagues. Well, they're very lucky colleagues as well, Aoife. And um, next time you're down this way, make sure you bring us some of those lovely samples and cakes and different things I that you do. I'll, I'll bring you some of the horrible ones as well, though, Sharon, just for a bit of balance. All right. You're, you're, you're very good, I think. <laughs> I'm kind. <laughs> Aoife, great to talk to you. And as I said there, your blog is babaduck.com. If people want to get a, a glimpse into your life outside Retail in Motion, I think is the name of the company That's that you work for. Right. It's very, very interesting. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to Not me about it this evening. It was a pleasure. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. That brings us to the end of tonight's show, which was produced with the assistance of the lovely Laura Forrestal. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much for your company as well and to all of tonight's guests, Ron Forrestal, Gary Graham, everyone I chatted to at the Apprentice Chef Programme and Aoife Ryan. Before I go, congratulations to the Milshog Namara team from County Donegal, who are the Foraga Youth Entrepreneurs of the Year. They won that in Dublin there last week and they're off to put a best with their wonderful Carrageen Moss products so well done guys i'll be back at the same time next week all being well until then have a great week and bon appetit do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste do you want to come on share a recipe review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink all you have to do is get in touch with me sharon noonan by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at queen of org bon appetit